Attention comedy musicians and comedy music fans! The Logan Awards are taking open nominations for outstanding comedy songs and videos released last year for this year's awards. Did you release a comedy song or music video in 2021? Or have a favorite comedy song or video that was released then? Then nominate it for the Logan Awards today! The Logan Awards are essentially the Comedy Music Awards, sponsored annually by the Funny Music Project and are presented in three categories. Outstanding Original Comedy Song, Outstanding Parody Song, and Outstanding Comedy Music Video. If you have a comedy song that was released in 2021 that you'd like to nominate for 2022's awards, head to loganawards.com and click the Nominations tab at the top. There is a minimum and maximum of five nominations per person. Hurry! Nominations close this year on January 22nd! For more details about Logan himself, the awards, and more, check out loganawards.com. Help us commemorate this year's best comedy songs and music videos with a trophy, the way they do with every other form of entertainment. But if you want your favorites to win, you have to nominate them by January 22nd, 2022. Get your nominations in now at loganawards.com. Brought to you by thefump.com. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Oh, a legend was sung when England was young and knights were brave and bold. We are talking about the sword in the stone. We are getting our Arthurian legends on in, in today's episode. Disney does the Arthurian legend. Arthurian stuff has even been part of Disney for a while, even before we came out. Like when Disneyland first opened, they have uh, and still have King Arthur's carousel straight in the middle of Fantasyland. It's like they they already at least plan to do something with these with with these characters at some point. Well, I mean, it it. It's public domain, because, do- you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, Sword and Stone, based off T.H. White's novel, the same name, part of the Once and Future King series, which I'm surprised that Disney never went back to this. Like, we only find, we only get the beginning of the story. We never, they never did a, a sequel film. They never did a series. I mean, there's rumors of a of a live-action reboot. Possibly for Disney Plus, that's been going around for a few years. But the fact that we've we've talked about this, you know, The Rescuers was the one that got the sequel, but The Sword and Stone doesn't. All these other movies that could have gotten sequels, but they didn't at the time, you know? Especially because of where and how this film ends, which we'll get into. Mm Mm-hmm. It it is kind of interesting they never went back to it. Um Arthurian legends are kind of evergreen. I mean, the the Merlin series recently was kind of big uh over in England. And current with Disney, the closest we ever got what they had the characters from the Arthurian legend in were regulars in Gargoyles. Arthur Pendragon, King of All Britain, you are needed. We needed the best warrior who ever lived. We needed King Arthur. That is all very flattering. But would someone kindly tell me what is going on? Well, yeah. I mean, gargoyles really did dip into that quite a bit. (laughs) That and Shakespeare. Well, yeah. Um, And I mean, Shakespeare mentioned the Arthurian legend a lot. Um, just kind of in that sense of it's a reference everybody in England's going to know. I don't really know why Disney doesn't go back to it. I guess because it can't be, like, you know, specifically copyrighted that easily. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, uh, Winnie the Pooh just entered the public domain. But Disney's version of Winnie the Pooh is still under Disney copyright. Like the the red shirted Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. You so know. 
Yeah, so even uh, their version of Snow White is copyright. Like you could, anyone can make a Snow White story, but the look of Snow White that from Disney's movies is copyrighted to them. So it might you may not be able to copyright the stories, but you can copyright the looks of these these specific looks of the characters. Yeah, and they're you know they're they're gonna try, but this this one is a a very interesting one because it almost seemed like they wanted this to be the first in a series that just never was. I don't know if it was intended to be. But it really comes off that way when you watch the movie, doesn't it? There's a lot of sequel bait, especially, you know, when we get to the end and, and you know, Arthur pulls the sword up from the stone and he's crowned the king. Spoiler for this hundreds-year-old story. The thing is, is it's called The Sword in the Stone and you get the the writing at the beginning. Whoever you know, shall pull this sword from this stone, if he be worthy, be granted the powers of Thor, right? Yeah. Um, and then you see it at the end, and it doesn't feature in the movie anywhere in between that. <laughs> it's like completely forgotten about until that that final moment. You know, you you name it after a thing that's in the movie for all of a minute and a half. Th- this is such an interesting film to me because of the way it was set up and presented because it really is just the childhood of this boy that's gonna be interesting one day but is not interesting at all right now this is the beginning of the legend you know this this young kid arthur who was destined to become the king you know like it's it's implied that Merlin kind of knows something, but it's never straight up said that he knows that this kid's going to become the king. Like, he says, you know, this kid's going to do great things, and if you know anything about the story, you know where it's going, but Merlin never lets on, even though he says, oh, I can see the future, I've been to the future, and I know what's going to happen. Well, and they also don't explain how he knows the future in this. I mean, if you if you know the story, you know that Merlin ages backwards you know so he is experiencing time in reverse basically so he remembers the future rather than i think that would have been a little too complicated to explain in a movie that's meant for children i don't uh but i think in 1963 they would have thought so i think now we understand that uh, children are smarter than that, but I think it, the the accepted wisdom of 1963 would be like, well, you can't tell that to children. That that would confuse them. Except that you know, this was a story told to children in you know for hundreds and hundreds yeah. of yeah. Well, no, for hundreds and hundreds of years in England, and they seem to just tell them around a fire pit, and they're like, yeah, that makes total sense, you know. But like put it in a motion picture in 1963 it's like that's far too complicated for children to understand you know yeah and you know we there's the character of madame mim who gets a lot in this movie that not so much in the book from what i understand honestly i have not read the th white novel Mm. so uh i couldn't tell you this film has a couple of uh, notable facts in the in that this is this was the final animated film to be released before Walt's death, and this is the first film that the Sherman Brothers wrote songs for. Well, none of these are what we typically think about with the Sherman Brothers earworms. They're not bad. You can understand where we're going to get the eventual yeah, Sherman we, Brothers earworms from. We go from Hickitus Figitus to Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. Hickitus Figitus Figitus Mum, Prestidigitonium! Hickitus Figitus Figitus Mum, Prestidigitonium! Oh, 
You can see, um, and yeah. you can see the beginning, and uh, that's what makes the world go round. Is is kind of cute, as is Mad Madam Mim. Mm-hmm. While I wouldn't put any of these among their best, you know, some some of these, you know, kind of do get your toes tapping a little bit. So you can see why they kept them around. Also, the factoid, and even as a child, I made the I noticed this, and uh, you, you Kiki, would probably even if if you didn't already know just by watching this movie, you can tell that Arthur's voice changes multiple times in this movie. I mean, it changes multiple times in the in a scene, and that is because we have three actors playing Arthur, uh, Ricky Sorensen, who is the main Arthur voice. Uh, was a kid when they they brought him in. He went through puberty, and they had to dub other lines with um, the director's two sons. And it is obvious, like except sometimes in the same scene, there are three different people voicing Arthur. And... Yeah, you'll you'll get one line spoken by one actor, and then the very next line will be spoken by a different actor, and then the line after that will be spoken by a different... It is very distracting. Yeah. Even as a kid, I noticed, like, wait, why is Arthur's voice changed so many times in this movie? Like, when I figured out what it was about, I thought, oh, the, the, the kid must have gone through puberty at some point in this movie, and they just ran with it. But no, it's three different actors trying to sound like the same, trying to sound the same, and doesn't work. It is also very distracting that pretty much everybody in the film is like, "Oh, this film is set in England. We will use our British voices." And then there is Arthur who is American all the way throughout. Like, all three kids are just like, we're American. I mean, this movie is made for an American audience, so I assume that they wanted the kid to be American. You know, Walt makes those crazy decisions like that. But I would say, yeah, Arthur should have been British or English. Yeah, it just, oh, it it was, you know. Uh, Merlin in this one... Definitely gives me proto-genie vibes with his rep... I mean, not as overt as Genie in the Land, but def- you know, him, him making references to what would have been the modern day. I mean, they're not all like pop culture references, but making references to steam-powered trains and planes and television and movies and stuff like that. He is wearing chucks at the end of the film for just a little bit. <laughs> Which I kind of loved. When he comes back from his Bermuda vacation, he is wearing chucks. Back from Bermuda and the future. Yeah. Yeah, and it is kind of interesting because there is a theory that the genie is a very similar character to Merlin in that he has maybe not aged backwards in the same way as Merlin, but maybe he has access to all of space and time phenomenal cosmic powers well yeah but uh, you know that he just kind of exists outside of space time Mm -hmm. because of his powers and so he can just kind of see everything see it all Um, at once yeah uh whereas merlin has already experienced our time and is now experiencing arthur's time and will continue into the past. It it is kind of interesting because you know at at the beginning of the film, you know, he's complaining about how awful he finds the middle ages, you know, <laughs> had that like no proper plumbing and no can't get a newsplay paper and can't get electricity and you know all that kind of stuff. It it makes it so it makes sense for him to kind of be referencing those those things. And of course, at the end, where he travels to the future, I don't know how that would work in this case, but he kind of says, "Hey, they can have the future. I'd rather be here." 
Yeah, which is very different from what he is saying. But, you know, it's kind of like kind of like us in a way, because sometimes we reminisce about our childhood and stuff. But I think if you sent me back to like, you know, 1995 or whatever, I'd be like, oh, my goodness, I am so bored without my phone. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have to rewind this tape to listen to that song again instead of just pressing a button on my phone. Yeah, or, you know, I have to wait for a song to come on the radio or whatever, you know. Yeah. You know, I have to wait for my friend to get home before I can talk to them. Also, my friends are three people I know who live within five miles of me. Instead of, I talk to this guy halfway across the country or the world yeah it's like you know somebody i know in australia you know (laughs) like that that would be (laughs) yeah um so yeah i think i think um i think we're all kind of like that so i kind of feel for for merlin when he comes back and he's like ah they can they can have it because i think it's slightly different but i i think our our nostalgia for different times is kind of um thing i could do without the um global pandemic though yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i you know so i maybe, can imagine that maybe I could... take me maybe take me back like five five or six years yeah like 20 2015 2014 i could i could go about then i can do that too yeah yeah like like 2014 i think we're good like just perpetual 2014 <laughs> And uh, in terms of uh, of the story in this movie, even though we see our, and meet Arthur's adopted father, Sir Ector, and his adopted brother, Kay, we never learn about his past. We never learn about Arthur's lineage and why he was able to pull the sword from the stone. And you won't know unless you're actually pausing the movie during these op- this opening sequence with the book as you actually get the name of Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon who was the king of England at the beginning of this story. So it's like, it's very weird that they get to, oh, he's uh, he's an orphan. He's not of pure blood. Therefore, he cannot be king. When it turns out, he is. <laughs> he is the son of the previous king. Well, it's- yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those, those things of, this leaves a a lot of stuff out of the story for the sake of the the runtime and for the sake of we don't think kids would understand the story if we actually told the story. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of wondering how Disney would have handled Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> <sighs> wrongly? Probably. Let's go with wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> that whole situation. Yeah. Okay. Imagine Guinevere. Uh, probably once again wrongly. Um, yeah. Oh, the oh, the love triangle. <laughs> yeah. The like I said, probably wrongly. The interesting thing is, though, is that uh, I think that uh, it it works better for a story like this for kids for it to be just kind of um a a surprise to everyone around him except for maybe merlin you're a nobody arthur and now you're a somebody in the story as it's kind of traditionally told there there were people who knew of arthur's lineage and were protecting him and you know made sure that he was kept safe for people who were trying to to wipe out the the lineage and all that kind of stuff so it wasn't like nobody knew in this version of events uh sir Hector treating arthur more like a servant than anything than a son which mm, i mean it's weird because when we first see sir Hector, he says you know i i adopted this boy i'm his foster father but at the same time, kind of treating him like a servant, you know? Again, it's one of those things of the time. We would think of it differently, you know. But 
it's more of a thing of, yes, I am responsible, but also you're not in the in the in the lineage of my family you're you're not going to inherit uh you know i mean arthur said i mean i i mentioned it but arthur does say you know he cannot be a knight because he is not uh of noble blood, blood. yeah of noble blood again we find out that if you if you're the story you find out that he is but for the purposes of this story as they as disney are presenting it yeah, and and the thing is, is is once again in the original story, he has to be treated that way so no one will suspect him. Fair, fair. You can't suspect the the servant boy of being the hidden king. You know, it's it's one of those things of you know you you don't treat royalty like that. And if he was raised to the level of a knight, then people are going to start being like, well. Then who's who's your parents and where's your lineage and where's your you know people, people gonna are going to start yeah people are going to start having questions and then that puts you in danger of assassination <laughs> so in the original story it's more of a matter of protection Arthur doesn't know it but it is kind of there to protect him because nobody suspects the servant boy hmm. you know no nobody in a position of power ever suspects the guy that cleans the chamber pot you know yeah it's it's just not a thing you're invisible at that point so it makes sense in the original tale in this one and to a modern audience you know you see sir actor and you're like oh you know why kind of treating him badly but then also being like you're like a son to me and so it makes more sense with the context that they never really give it in the animated film and you know the actor's preferred treatment of k you know yeah you know arthur does kind of in the original story you know he does treat k as a as a brother you know, once he becomes king, he does bring him on board as a knight of the round table and stuff. I mean, it is, you know, it's not like he forgets Kay. So Kay maybe gets better than he deserves in some, because he is remembered as kind of, you know, a bit of a bully. Yeah. So the portrayal in in this is not altogether inaccurate. Uh, Arthur, for all his faults, does you know remember the people that were with him we're never given a reason of the nickname wart i never read the book so i don't know if that there's an actual reason for it but you know oh my name is arthur but everyone calls me wart why do they call you wart is there a reason do you have warts on your face or something yeah no, you, I, maybe it's because I he's just maybe it's just, maybe it's because he's just short i don't know but yeah i mean Obviously, uh, Merlin sees something in 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 Arthur, whether he know again, whether he knows that he's going to be the king or not. He plans to give the boy an education, especially when he learns about his status as a squire. You know, he's he'll never be a knight. He's always going to be this low class squire. He says, no, you can be more. You could. All you need is a proper education. And then decides that well i'm not i'm going to be your tutor i'm going to teach you everything there is to know about the world and some stuff about the future and then you're going to become someone great i mean if if we're going by the idea that merlin knows that arthur is the future king or the or the rightful king then yeah he would want to give ward a a proper royal education so that he would be prepared when that time comes but it's it's kind of all over the place, you know. M maybe it's me. Yeah, it, it the the movie doesn't really portray this super well either. It I guess it's it's more of the idea of you know you you want to learn to see things from all perspectives. Yeah, because 
it's never even though he straight up says an academic education he merlin's teachings is more of life lessons than anything it's not until archimedes takes over the education that that arthur starts actually learning how to read and write it is kind of um interesting that he he does try to teach him you know the perspective of a fish the perspective of a bird um the squirrel which is such a bizarre scene yeah but it is kind of uh fascinating that he talks about the the instincts of the animal yeah that's a weird one because he says you know you've never been a fish before therefore you don't have the instincts of a fish so you don't know how to swim as a fish but then he gets the instinct to eat a bug oh that's just instinct but you said it didn't have any instincts and he kind of waves off well let's continue the lesson yeah and they never explain that because when they do the bird lesson with Archimedes. At first, he's teaching things of like, you know, don't fight the currents, go with the currents. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, instinct kicked in. And now I know how to fly. <laughs> you know, it, it seems kind of the same thing with the the squirrel as well look before you leap i guess is supposed to be the the lesson here but he does much better as a squirrel when he is just running for his life and not looking before he leaps yeah and then there's that whole scene with the girl squirrel which is very peppy le pew and uncomfortable yeah Again, this is 1963, so the Pepe Le Pew cartoons would have already been known at the time. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, they kind of go through, oh, uh, when a squirrel meets its mate, it's going to, it mates for life. And, like, he's trying to communicate with us. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really a squirrel, boy. I, I'm not a real squirrel. You, please don't, please don't flirt with me. Please don't. I mean, was the fact that he didn't speak squirrel not a giveaway to her? Yeah. Well, it's a, he's cute, therefore the language isn't an issue. Uh-huh. Those kind of relationships don't tend to last, though. I don't know. The, the thing is that um, both of the squirrels that they meet are really aggressive like that so i guess the point of the movie is that female squirrels are just really aggressive and refuse to take no for an answer the, which kind of goes back to my question of how disney would have handled guinevere i don't know I, it only really works for squirrels though because i we really only see one human woman and it's madame mim yeah well, it, I mean, two, because we see the washerwoman in the castle, I guess. But it's like, it's... So human women are completely asexual, and female squirrels will not take no for an answer. And his thing is, oh yeah, she's she's also a redhead. It's like, it's, it's, I mean, there's that's a whole different conversation right there. And maybe let's not have it, because... Um, but it's one of those like why is this scene even in the movie the thing is is that bravo to this chick for being really brave though I mean squirrel chick is really brave yeah the, you know there's the wolf who has been chasing Arthur this entire movie trying to eat Arthur as a human and trying to eat Arthur as a as a squirrel. Yeah. But this girl squirrel just, you know, predators be predator be damned. She's gonna protect her man. Yeah. I mean, bravo to her for her bravery. Um, but you know, at the same time. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, and we never come back to this. We never get a, it's, it's like, Arthur is turned back into a human. He tries to apologize to her. He even says, I hope, if only you could understand me, I could apologize to you. And she's just brokenhearted. And we, we leave it at that. We, yeah. we never come back to this. This squirrel is just brokenhearted. And since Merlin says she, they choose a mate for life, does this squirrel never mate with anyone? Ever? You you almost kind of just want to see her living in the castle, just kind of pining over King Arthur for the rest of her days. Like, the squirrel just shows up every once in a while, and Arthur looks like, oh, she's back. Honey, she's she's just... Guinevere, d- don't, Guinevere, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> he just goes out to the to the forest and just leaves some acorns in a little pile next to the tree <laughs> until she dies then buries her with full state honors. <laughs> so, yeah. This whole movie feels like we've talked about this before. Like a lot of the early Disney movies doesn't feel like don't, they don't feel like movies and more that like you feel like it's a collection of shorts just starring the same characters. That's what this movie feels like. Yeah, like, this is this is less a coherent plot and more just a series of shorts stitched together. Yeah. That it works against the movie because there really isn't a central plot. It's just a series of things that happen. You're you're right. Um but in in the midst of all this the what little plot we have is that a guy from London arrives with the news that there's going to be a New Year's Day tournament in London and that the winner of the tournament will be crowned king. So Kay is going to be knighted before the tournament and then he's going to enter the tournament in hopes that he will win and become king. And Arthur is going to be his squire. Yay! So, prolonged training montage. Yeah, and that seems to be like a trigger for for Merlin. Like, no, you are not going to be a squire. Don't waste your life on that. I'm going to teach you to be better. Which is the whole point of him teaching Arthur anything in the first place. Is I don't want you to become a squire. I want you to become something better, something more. Again, he never lets on that he's going to be the king. Maybe he's not supposed to. Whatever. But it's just this. You know, it's it's like if you want to take this into modern day, is like a parent saying, you know, you're you're going to be a doctor, you'll be a lawyer. Like, like, hey, I just need a job. I'm going to you know work at this restaurant for a little while. If the best I can do with my education level and all that stuff. Yeah. Um. The interesting thing is, is that during the bird lesson, uh, we get the thing where a hawk chases Arthur because Arthur is just a tiny little sparrow. And he crash lands into Madame Mim's house. The closest thing to a villain in this movie. An hour into this movie and we finally meet the villain. Who is not really a villain. She's just kind of a witch who has beef with Merlin, I guess. There's we don't a... get any explanation of this woman. She's just a witch. And she decides to have a a wizard battle with Merlin. Yeah, there's, the, there's things here. It's probably explained in one of the books. But it's like, the minute Arthur says... Merlin is the greatest wizard who ever lived. She's just, no, I'm the greatest wizard who ever lived. And uh, if you keep saying something about Merlin, I'm going to kill you. You know, I'm going to kill you anyway. You know, Merlin shows up and they have their wizard's duel, which is my favorite part of the movie, honestly. It's like growing up watching this movie over and over again on TV, it really is the last half hour that is the most interesting in this entire movie. Of an hour and a half movie. Mim has a pretty interesting villain song, honestly. It's not top tier villain song, but it works. So we get the wizard's duel again. To me, is the coolest thing in the whole movie. The, the 
And I love how Mim kind of say, hey, we're going to, we got to have rules, we got to have regulations. And I just love how she says, you know, no, no pink dragons, and then immediately breaks it <laughs> by becoming a purple dragon. I, I, I do like that thing. Like, you know, no, no turning into a pink dragon. Okay, I'll turn into a purple dragon, you know. Technically, she didn't break the rules. She found a loophole. But I, I must say that the animation, of, it feels like most of the animation budget went into the wizard's duel. There are times where they're, you know, they, it's just a puff of smoke and they turn into a different animal. But when you see the actual morph, the anim- when, they, when they animate the actual morphing of one animal into another, it looks really, really good. Granted, a lot of these animal models are probably from past films. I mean, the crocodile's probably from uh, Peter Pan. The turtle's probably from another movie. And But the animation, the transition animation from one animal to another is really good. Like, uh, when, when Mim goes from the alligator to the fox or from, like, when she transforms from, into the snake and all that stuff. Or when Merlin goes from the caterpillar to the to the to the sea uh, to the sea lion. Yeah, I really do like uh, those transformations as well, and the animation in this, like you said, is really top notch for this film. All the little magical effects, you know, the little dusts and sparkles and and all that around it. No um, computers for this one though. That was all hand. That was all hand drawn. Oh yeah. And and the underwater effects as well in the moat. We didn't really talk about it, but the the shimmers and light effects of the underwater really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this whole this whole battle really interesting, really good. Um, and the final bit where she turns into the purple dragon and she captures Merlin. And then he disappears, but he doesn't disappear. He has turned himself into a germ and infects her with an illness that is bad enough that she'll be down for a few days, but not so bad that, you know, it will do anything permanent to her. She has to quarantine for five days and be fine. Take <laughs> and a then negative she'll test. have to wear a mask for another five days until she gets a negative test. You know, I mean... Yeah. But the um it's it's an interesting little scene and it's his way of teaching Arthur that you don't have to do everything with brute strength and with a battle, but you can do things with knowledge. Mim doesn't know about germ theory, so she doesn't know about uh that that was even an option. And it's also in, in this in this battle, Mim only turns into predators. Which yeah. and and um Merlin only turns into prey using his not again, he turns into a uh he turns into a bigger animal to squish her, but he it's all about using his his brain rather than brawn and Mim relying on brawn as a predator to win the battle and it also and it ultimately costed her. Because, you know, Merlin's turning into that germ. Yeah. And he and he does things like turn into, you know, mice and, and caterpillars and things like that, yeah. Uh, it's a joke, and it's probably one of the best jokes in the movie, is, you know, Mim turns into an elephant, so Merlin turns into a mouse to scare her. Yeah. It is, it is one of the oldest gags in these kind of stories, and... I think they proved it wasn't true. Mythbusters did it like years ago, but for the purposes of a kids' movie, it makes sense. It works, and it's still the best joke in this whole movie. <laughs> it's interesting because we go, we talk about the importance of, you know, germs and and illness, and that's what ends up changing the course with Arthur. Um, due to him standing up for Merlin, who has been using magic all around the castle, and that, you know, Hector doesn't like that, so 
he forbids it and Arthur stands up for him and gets himself so many demerits that he's taken away from his job as squire and Merlin is happy about this and Arthur is not. Yeah, Arthur is um, devastated because yeah. he really wanted to go to London on New Year's Day and be and be part of this competition, even if it was as a squire. Yeah. Um, but the guy who has replaced Arthur ends up coming down with mumps at the last minute and cannot go. He has to be quarantined and, you know, stay homesick. So Kay is knighted and Arthur has to step in and be squire. And Arthur is so happy and Merlin is so mad. You're going to give up everything for all this stupid war stuff and, you know, you're throwing your life away to be a servant. You could be so much more. Yeah, and he's just, he just had it with, with, with Arthur. It's like, it, it, all this stuff I've been teaching you and none of it has sunk in. You're just going to keep on going back to this, this squire business when I'm trying to make you something more. And he's out of there. Blow me to Bermuda. And I actually slowed down the animation on this when I'm when I'm watching the, the, the movie. And the minute he says the word blow me to Bermuda, the animation on Merlin's face changes. It's like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> Oops. Like when he's when he starts to take off, he's like, um, I didn't mean to do that. Like in a fit of anger, and now he has, which blows him not only to not only does it blow him to Bermuda, but it blows him to the future. What yeah. point in the future we don't know. Again, since uh, you know the the actual story has Merlin living life backwards, how does that work? Yeah, but I don't know. It's somewhere never... with with daiquiris and chucks and you know Hawaiian yeah. shirts and cargo pants because. Somewhere in the 1960s. <laughs> yeah. Probably. It's probably in the 1960s. But uh, I like the thing where, you know, he, he blasts off and then Arthur goes, where did he go? And uh, Archimedes says, well, Bermuda, probably. <laughs> Arthur kind of just shrugs and goes on to uh, to the tournament. And they get to... The final round of the tournament, which is going to be swords. Uh, you know, they've done all the, the other competitions. And Arthur realizes that he hasn't brought Kay's sword with him. He left it at the hotel, yeah. Yeah, he left it at the inn. And uh, the doors to the inn are locked. And he can't get in. Uh, and Everyone has gone to the tournament. There's yeah. no one in the inn to take care of the inn, which is very bad business. Uh, but, you know, probably good because you don't want things to get stolen while everybody's at the tournament. But Archimedes notices, hey, there's a there's a sword over here in this anvil. Don't know why it's there, but uh, maybe you can grab it. And Arthur just, oh, yeah. Uh, Kay needs a sword. There's a sword. And the beginning of the movie implies that the sword just suddenly appeared in the center of London by act of God. And since no one could pull it, they kind of forgot about it, and it ends up in the back of the of this of the, the inn. And as Arthur Arthur touches the sword, you hear the angels singing, and he's like, "What the heck is going on here?" And Archimedes uh, is like, oh, we should probably just leave that alone. <laughs> but Kay needs a sword, so angel singing be damned. I don't know if that line made sense, but I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> he pulls the sword out as the angels sing and brings the sword to Kay. This is not my sword. Got stuff written on it. <laughs> and they see that it is the legendary sword in the stone. Someone has pulled the sword from the stone. Therefore, we don't need this tournament anymore. Sorry. Sorry, finalist. Uh, you're, 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 all this works for nothing. We're, we're going to find out what happens to the sword. 
But apparently the legend of the sword is still alive and well in, in London because everyone starts murmuring the sword got pulled from the stone. No one has ever done it. So they said, hey, you, you didn't pull this out. Yeah, uh, one of the big running ga- running themes in this movie is that Sir Ector doesn't believe anything that Arthur says. Like, oh, I was turned into a fish. I was turned into a, a bird. I was turned into a squirrel. Merlin does all these great magic things and says, you're making these stories up more demerits for you because you keep lying about where, where you've been and what you're doing. And the final thing is, you know, this is one lie too many. You're going to prove to you're going to prove to me that you pulled the sword out. You know, rather than let Arthur pull re-pull the sword out, Cage says, you know what? Once it's been pulled, anyone can pull it out. So I'm going to pull the sword out and doesn't budge. And then suddenly everybody in the town starts trying to help Kay pull the sword out until uh, the, the the messenger from early in the movie says, hey, hey, this isn't right. This isn't fair. The boy said he pulled it out once. Let the boy do it again. And a couple of other people said, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're right. The boy said he pulled it out. Let him pull it out again. And he does. Uh, ordained by the heavens themselves that Arthur here, Arthur Pendragon, is the true king of England. Which, of course, starts the sucking up. Please forgive me, boy. I didn't mean to be mean to you. Which implies that Sir Sir Ector didn't know. Now, I never read the, the legends. I don't know if Ector actually knew or not, but for the purpose of, the, of this movie, he doesn't know. And begs forgiveness of the king. Yeah, I mean this this very much says I mean this movie very much says that Hector didn't know. You know, they kind of appear to almost immediately crown crown him. Um yeah, you see the 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 king like it seems to be like that day he's there still in the squire outfit with the robe on him and the crown on his head with the sword. Yeah. Uh, side note, this is not Excalibur, I assume. Wasn't Excalibur given to him by the lady in the lake? Well, you know, it's one of those things where the legends kind of differ, you know. Some of them say that this is this is the Excalibur. Some of them say that Excalibur was the sword from the lake. Some of them want to be like well no he had this sword first and then this sword broke and then the lady of the lake gave him a different sword that was named Excalibur to be you know so but it's one of those things of many legends were told orally and they just kind of changed by whoever was telling them at the time things just kind of get a bit fuzzy when you've got a story this old it's one of those things that people will you know find their hill and die on it but depending on who's telling the story it goes uh one or the other um and sometimes he's got two different swords sometimes he's got the sword that he pulls from the stone and sometimes he's got excalibur that was given to him by the lady of the lake so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, Arthur does not like this idea of being king. He doesn't want to be king. He doesn't know how to be a king. He just wants to have his regular life back. <laughs> so he tries to bail. And uh, not going to happen because the entire castle is surrounded by people saying, Hail King Arthur! Long live the king! Long live the king! So uh, he's kind of stuck in this situation. Yeah. And he says, I wish Merlin were here. And uh, that apparently is the magic spell to bring Merlin back from Bermuda. Uh, with his trucks and Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> yeah, with his trucks and Hawaiian shirt and his daiquiri or margarita or whatever he's got. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, king, you were meant to be king. I knew I forgot something. Well, uh, you're gonna be king arthur and round table and he's like uh round table oh what you want square 
they're gonna write books about you and uh, eventually movies what's a movie uh, it's like a tv okay and then the well, movie just ends because yeah this is this feels like a prequel to another movie you know like this feels like the prequel that comes out after the main king arthur story or it feels like tune in next week, same Arthurian time, same Arthurian channel, and then it just never happened. Yeah, I mean, Disney could have gone. I mean, like I said, Disney may not have done the legend right, but they it's it feels like there's more that at least someone involved with this movie wanted to tell. Come back next week for the interesting movie uh, that we forgot to make. Uh, to be continued in 10 years in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> who are you? We are the knights who say... Nee. No, nee. not the knights nee. who say nee. The same! Ooh, the Holy... I wonder how the hell Disney would have handled the Holy Grail story. That's interesting. Well, yeah, because they, they tried to not... Well, until Hunchback of Notre Dame, at least, they... Tried not to get too into like religious stuff. Yeah. So, you know, like, they never mention like they never see heaven. They see the heavens. So they try a lot to not have any religious denominations mentioned in this version. Well, they say by Jove a lot. Yeah. Which is you know a religious reference. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, it feels weird. Like, this is only part of the story. And even as a kid, like, okay, I want to see the rest of the story. I want to see where, I mean, and I knew there were more stories of King Arthur, that he was not, you know, this is not the end of the story. But that, that it's just really weird that Disney never, I mean, I get it. I get it. Walt was very much anti-sequel. I get that. Always do something new. Uh, the famous line, you can't follow pigs with pigs. Uh, in reference to the Three Little Pigs cartoon. And he, they want to do an entire series of Three Little Pigs cartoons that didn't go anywhere. That you know were not very popular. So no sequels for their animated projects. But like I said, Walt would pass away just a few, not long after this movie. Like they could have easily said, you know, hey, Sword in the Stone did some well. We could, we have, there's more Arthurian stories to tell. We can do Sword in the Stone too. But they never go in that direction until we get to the Rescuers Down Under. It always perplexes me that of all the movies that got the first sequel, it was The Rescuers. <laughs> And we discuss all of that in our rescues episode. If you want to go back and and if you want to go back to that, it's really weird that they never continued the story. They never went back to the Arthurian legends. You know, at least in terms of uh, animated film. I mean, like I said, we've talked about they, you know, uh, gargoyles and stuff like that. But you know, does that mean that this story takes place in the same universe as gargoyles? Uh, no, I, even as goofy as Gargoyles got sometimes, this is way too, uh, goofy for that. So, yeah, in terms of, again, like I said, in the parks, they'd had King Arthur's carousel with the sword and the stone in front of it. And for a time, they would have kids come up and try to take the sword out, and, uh, they don't do it anymore. Uh, I believe because someone actually broke it. <laughs> Apparently they had an adult uh, try to pull the sword out and um, broke the mechanism and pulled it out. So they don't do it anymore. Uh, why can't we have nice things? But you can still take a picture with it out and, you know, pretend to take the sword out and it doesn't move, but, you know. So anyway, and uh, Merlin, it for a while was a regular character in the parks, usually as part of this sword in the stone ceremony. But we never actually got Arthur in the parks until 2020. Right at the beginning of 2020, Disney premiered their new 
uh, parade at Disneyland called Magic Happens. And there is a float which features Merlin and Arthur in his little squire outfit holding the sword. And it's just really weird that in 2020 they decided that uh, the movie that needed its own float was The Sword and the Stone. Yeah, seems a, a bit late for that, but... And sadly, like a month after the parade premiered, um, COVID happened and everything shut down. And uh, they have yet to bring back this parade in the parks. And it's also really weird that they waited until 2020 to bring the character of Arthur into the parks, even though they've had Merlin hanging around for all these years. This is such a weird movie to me. I I, I don't know that I can really say more, more than that. I, I mean, I, you know, this movie has a... Was, I would watch this movie all the time as a kid. Like I said, like, you know, Robin Hood and some of the other movies of, of that era, these were just the movies that aired on TV the most. So that's the, these are the movies that kind of formed my childhood, our childhood growing up, you know, that these 60s, 70s, late Walt, post-Walt movies were just the ones that aired on TV the most. We have the, I mean, for me, I have the the great memories of watching this movie. And as a collection of shorts, it's great, but it there's not really a central plot throughout this whole movie. And I feel really bad saying that. For the Xerox animation of the time, it's not terrible. In some places it is. But like, like, the, like the Wizard's Duel kind of still holds up. But most of the movie kind of doesn't. Especially the uh, the dishwashing scene kind of doesn't look so great. I was going to mention that, you know, you have a 4K TV, so you're watching this in, on a 4K TV. How did that go for you? It's not the, the greatest animation, but it looks better than um, some of the ones that we've talked about in that style. Um, so it holds up a little bit better. I will say that this has a lot of... Sorcerer's apprentice kind of moments in this, you know? Be our guest kind of moments. So, you know, it's very, very Disney wants dishes to dance kind of. <laughs> That's a lot of alliteration. But, you know, it's that very kitschy Disney, you know, household stuff moves and dances around style yeah the the higginest thickest scene with the moving is for as a kid that was one of my favorite scenes just because of the 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 moving of all of the objects and shrinking down into the into the bag and you know that would make moving a lot easier imagine you know packing for a trip and then all you have to do is say a magic spell and all of your belongings can fit into a single small bag that you can carry on to your flight instead of checking it in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's infinitely useful, but my my point was that not that it's bad or that I dislike it, but that it's very particularly Disney in, in that there are several scenes in this movie where you're like, that's Disney! Especially of this era. Merlin's whole thing with the sugar pot. The whole bit with him enchanting the the dishes and the stuff to do themselves. And, the, you know, it's extremely Disney of this time. I, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but it is a very particular style. That you you would not see in a different movie or a different company. And if you did, you would immediately go, boy, they're trying to rip off Disney. So let's ask the question, does the sword and the stone have the magic, Kiki? I mean, it's a difficult one because it's, it's one that, like you, I remember watching this one as a kid. 
I will say I didn't watch it as often as you did as a kid. Yeah, because you probably did. Yeah, we, we kind of mentioned this. You did not have the Disney Channel growing up. So you had to wait to, for this movie to air on regular TV. Meanwhile, me, who did grow up with the Disney Channel, would probably watch this movie once a week. Yeah, I definitely did not watch it that often. But, you know, it was this was probably like a once a year watch for me. And considering the 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 climax takes place on New Year's Day, probably around the holidays. Yeah, a little bit of magic, but it's it's never gonna be one of my favorites. And honestly, rewatching it as an adult, I find it more boring than I did as a kid. Sorry. It's fine. I'm I kind of with you. Like I said, this as an adult looking at this movie as an as a kid watching this movie, it's great because you oh here's this kid he's having all these adventures with magic and it's fun, but as an adult, it's like there's there's no plot, there's nothing going on here until the last half hour of the movie, like you can cut the first hour of this movie and miss nothing. I would have liked to have seen whatever movie this is a prequel for though. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering what Disney would have gone with. What direction or would they have made up? I mean, they could have made up their own story. These characters are public domain. But I'm going to say as re-watching this movie, as much as I do have a soft spot for this one, it kind of doesn't hold up as much as I remember it doing. And I recently had a rewatch like a year ago of this. So it's like it. It feels like the more of you watch it, the less I, not to say the less I like it, but the less I have the same feeling that I did watching this as a kid. So it's, I really don't want to do it, but I'm going to have to say no magic. Sorry, Merlin. Like, parts of this movie is good. I can watch parts of this movie. Like I said, I can watch the final half hour of this movie and greatly enjoy it. But the entire hour and a half of it is a bit of a slog to go through. I mean, I, I agree. I, there's there's a couple of parts, you know, that that I like the the mag Madame Mim sequence. A little bit of magic there, but yeah, that's kind of mostly no magic. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I feel, and maybe if 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 Disney is making a remake of this. Maybe they can do something different with it, make it a little bit more exciting, probably reshape the events to give it a better overall plot. I don't know. We'll see if that project ever happens or not, because it's been rumored for about seven years now, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's, I think that's everything we can talk about the Sword and the Stone. So let's move on to next week. Um, a few days before we recorded this episode, we got the news that, as everyone has gotten the news, of the passing of the legendary Betty White. Just a few weeks short of her 100th birthday, New Year's Eve, how, how would that be? You know, you get up on New Year's Eve and to find out that Betty White had passed away. Most people were thought that this was a joke. Like, you're joking. No, no, no. Betty White can't be dead. Betty White, oh, no, you're not joking. <laughs> and it's like, this was like the collective world just came together on New Year's Eve and just did it in celebration of Betty White. You have to be an exceptional person to live to the age of 99, two weeks short of turning 100, and people will say you died too soon. We can only think of one way to honor her. So uh, we're moving up something on the schedule. We had something different uh, planned for, for next week. But when we heard the news, we thought, you know, we've had a retrospective planned for a while now. And this seems like the perfect time to do it. So next week, Golden Girls. On Betty White's 100th birthday, I cannot think of a better time to do it. Nope. So uh, come back. We've picked several episodes that we want to talk about that kind of 
hopefully showcase some of the best of the series. And uh, we're gonna go through one of the best series of all time and uh, talk a little bit about Betty, but talk about uh, just four incredible women that uh, somehow got to make uh, an incredible TV series together. So, And that Disney was producing this show. Uh, Touchtone Media, Buena Vista Media, they own it, which means Disney owns it. In some countries, this is on Disney+. Plus. So, yeah, and uh, in the U.S., it's on Hulu, also owned by Disney. So uh, we're going to talk about it. So, yeah, so come back next week for our retrospective on the Golden Girls and our tribute show to Betty White. And uh, we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. <laughs>